Welcome to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Werner. Truly international figure. I'm so excited to do this interview. Now it clicks. Moments of Clarity. Now I hear. Moments of Clarity. Now I get it. Moments of Clarity. To yourself, be kind. It will please your mind. Moments of Clarity's mission is to educate and end the stigma on mental health through the inspirational stories of our exceptional guests on Facebook and Twitter at MOC with Tiffany. Now, here's Tiffany Werner. My name is Tiffany Warner. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I'm your host. And behind the glass, thank you so much for being here and for all you do. Oh, he scares me when there's nobody there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're like texting me. You're like, wow. And I was like, yeah, I was waiting for you too. Ed, meet Manal Omar. She is Hi. very, very, um, very established international peace, peace builder through the entire world. And um, we're over in the Middle East with the Dalai Lama, with under every, uh, so many things with administrations and does a lot of things while serving um, during war and everything, and I'm very honored to have her on the show. And Thank you. so I want you to meet Ed, that he runs the station. And, and I was telling him about how, how many people, <laughs> how many people in the radio stations have, um, have actually been catching the COVID and no one's, no one's um, shutting down. Everybody keeps putting themselves as frontliners right here to make sure people um, are able to, get the news, get the word, um, you know, we still yeah. want to educate. So it doesn't stop. Nothing's going to stop us now. Right. But thank you so much for all you do, Ed, and please be safe. Okay. I am. So I'm going to introduce our guest here. Um, Omar, and if I leave some things out, I'm going to try to give the brief introduction and how about you tell me a little bit about how it started for you and we'll get into that. But, um, we're just so honored to have you. Manal Omar, a truly international figure in women's rights and peace building. And she has an incredible history of working with government and non-government peace negotiation organizations and world leaders. And please welcome to Moments of Clarity, Manal Omar. Thank you so much, Manal, for being here. Uh, it's such an honor. Thank you. Thank so you so much. Let's just start from the beginning. Thank How about you? you I'm you, excited, especially from our previous chat. Yeah, me too. It's fun. You know, so, um, you, know you definitely can't yeah. judge a book by its cover. You get, you get Peace Builder, International stuff, and you're thinking, how am I going to interview her? And I was told, you're going to love her right from the start. And it's true. She's just <laughs> awesome. So let's start from the beginning. How did you get into this field? How has it affected your mental health? And where did you, have you found your mental clarity? Like, so, I mean, if I start kind of from the beginning, just, you know, by being a hyphenated American. So I'm an Arab American. Um, my parents migrated in the 70s. And so, like, growing up, I feel like I was constantly negotiating the different parts of my identity. Um, and I loved the process. You know, I think, like, there are people who may feel frustrated and it's not necessarily their thing. But when I was in alignment, I loved kind of pretending I was an ambassador to two worlds. So whenever I was in the Middle East, all I'm doing is talking about America and how amazing America is. And when I'm in America, I'm sharing the parts of me that are in the Middle East. And like, that was my entire childhood. So it makes sense in hindsight that I would build an entire career out of it. Right. 
And, you know, one of the things that I did, you know, for 25 years, as you mentioned, I worked in war zones. Um, I worked predominantly with um, conflict areas. So, you know, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, you know, I was in Benghazi when Gaddafi was still in Tripoli. So, like, at the height of violence. Um, and after 25 years of doing this, you can imagine there was a part of me that kind of just stepped back. I actually remember I was in Gaziantep on the border between Turkey and Syria. Wow. And I was like, I can't do this again. Like, I cannot enter this cycle. Like, we did Iraq, and then we did Afghanistan, and then we did, you know, I worked in Nigeria, and, you know, Uganda, and all these countries. And it was like, each country is different, but the same is the U.S. And so, you know, my question is, what can I do differently? And so I pulled back, and that's where I really thought about two things. One was women. Mm -hmm. um, what I witnessed and what I saw was, like, women, they're, they're the very cornerstone of resilience, they're the very cornerstone of abundance and nourishment. So when they're absent or when they're so busy surviving, you know, communities lose that thriving sensation. So I wanted to focus on women. And the second area, which is a little bit more controversial, was it can't just be any woman. And this comes to the mental health. It has mm -hmm. to be a woman who's fully integrated, who's accepted all the parts of herself. She's accepted that she's a sexual being as well as those masculine leadership qualities that she has as well. Like she's right. feminine, all the parts. Then you can make change towards peace building. So it's not just women, it's integrated women. I found that so interesting when I was reading about you that, okay, we got peace builder. She's met the Dalai Lama. She's worked under Obama. She's U.S. international. And then she also specializes with sexuality. <laughs> it's like, how does that fit in? Like with all this, it's just like, awesome. Like, right? Ripped out my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, Talk about well-rounded. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and you know, I would have never, like if you told me five years ago, I would be even saying the word sexuality publicly, like I, my face would have turned red. I would have been like hiding behind the veil. Like, but I, I was expecting you to be wearing that. So when I read that, I was like, how can you speak about that when it's, isn't it taboo over there? It's taboo everywhere. Because, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about sex positive, right? When mm -hmm. people talk about sexuality, it's usually like, don't get pregnant, worry about STDs, you know, all the negatives. My whole thing is that sexual energy is life force energy. So when you're able to galvanize it, like I joke, like how do you galvanize it from the bedroom to the boardroom? How do you, you know, we're taught to leave that energy behind. We're right. embarrassed of that. Or, yeah, to be ashamed or not, yeah. or to not speak of it. I mean, our parents' generation, like, you know, in the, and I'm talking about in the West, like, you couldn't show up publicly pregnant. Like, it was considered, like, vulgar to be pregnant in public. Like, and we're talking about, like, our mother's generation. We're not talking about, like, way back, especially if you look at the academic world. So, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love women is it's truly a global issue. It just yes. looks different in every society. But, like, the one thing the world shares in common is unfortunately what we call the war on women. That is, well, that's not, I mean, and the war on mental health, I could say that's a global thing too. And but I think they're tied. Are you, like are, you are you currently in the United States? I'm currently in the U.S., yeah. I kind of, I landed and then the next, I was supposed to do some, a fellowship in New York, and the next day the whole city closed. So I'm still trying not to take it personal, but understand. <laughs> nothing to do. I did not shut New York down. <laughs> the quarantine. So you go from war, violence, bombs over Baghdad, so to speak, and then yeah. comes comes straight here. And then now there's all this rioting and quarantine too as well. 
Yeah. And and that's what's funny is like, I, I don't know how, but I ended up in the epicenter of the pandemic. And so there was a <laughs> moment where I had to sit with myself in meditation and be like, what about you is addicted to chaos? Because like of all, <laughs> all the world, and I've never lived in New York. So like, this was the first time I moved to New York, the next day it shut down. So for me, that was like a big moment of like pause and reflect on where you want to be. Well, not only that, maybe it was not just coincidental. Maybe it was some bit higher force telling you to chill out for a second. Yeah, you know? I believe that. I do believe like, that. Take a second for yourself, be creative and forcing you to slow down somehow because you're putting yourself into danger all of the time. You might not be addicted to chaos, but someone's got to do it and you're just strong enough and you were born fighting for your identity from the start. That's, you know, so. Yeah. Wow, that was be, really beautifully said. Yeah, I think that that's spot on. Yeah. I just, you know, look at things optimistically. If you were born fighting for your identity from, you know, the standpoint and as a woman, as a female and then and then introduced to all of this stuff i mean if you won't slow yourself down something has to and so yeah and i know that you wrote a, a beautiful book barefoot in baghdad yeah it's been on the bookshelves it's been i've heard of it before i even met you as well oh, oh wonderful yeah now, yeah tell me about that yeah, I wanted to give like the personal stories to war. Like when I was living in Iraq um, and generally whenever I would come back home to the U.S. from any of these war zones, it was like these constant questions and statistics, you know, 100 people died in a roadside bomb and like we didn't actually know the country. So when I wrote, wrote Barefoot in Baghdad through the lens of women, I tried to show the country, like the cuisine, the food, the art, the poetry, the culture, as well as the struggle, but kind of given it, give it more than that one dimensional war and conflict. Because as you know, Iraq and a lot of the countries that we've um, been in, like they were the cradle of civilization. You know, they have mm -hmm. ancient, amazing, you know, poems, art, history. And, you know, I want to make sure that conflict doesn't erase, you know, that history, especially from the feminine perspective, you know, the mm -hmm. amount of women, like, Iraqi women, like when I was growing up, like they were the model for the Middle East. Like we all wanted to be Iraqi women. So to go and see them really brought to their knees because of war and sanctions, like it broke my heart. So what I was fascinating to about them. What was fascinating about Iraqi women? So Iraqi women, like they were the first country in the region to have the right to vote, you know? So they were voting like since, you know, the 1980s, like 1980, when it's still for some countries, they don't have the right to vote. So like it really was leaps and bounds. Um, you know, uh, Iraq won an illiteracy award by UNESCO for eliminating female illiteracy, you know? So like there, you know, sexual harassment, like imagine this, we're talking about in the 1980s, sexual harassment was actually a law and illegal in Iraq and men would be penalized for harassing women in the workforce. So like, you know, when I say like they were leaps and bounds, you know, and now- but it wasn't in other countries. They were allowed yeah. to. It was unknown in other countries. Like again, like for us, we would be like, what? Like there, there's a law against sexual harassment. And this I'm talking about within the region. And again, even in the US, like it's still something that's controversial. So for the 1980s, for this to be in the law and enforced, like I think is very significant. So mm -hmm. it's, it's sad to me that they rolled back. Um, I remember one Iraqi grandmother, she said it perfectly. She told me, she's like, I studied in London my daughter studied in Jordan, and now my granddaughter can't even go to the University of Baghdad. You know, wow. each generation wants to be better than the last. With Iraq, each generation went backwards. So, like, it was a very painful thing, and I wanted to 
capture like you know the history and the beauty of Iraqi women and women in war in general. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how far women have come and how far we still have to go. Yeah. And then and then you know you add race and ethnicity and everything to it. And now COVID. So yeah, it's just, exactly. but I love, I love interviewing powerful women and women that have overcome like, I mean, and you've kind of um, gone way above and beyond just when I say powerful women. But besides that, I congratulate and commend you on that. And it's just amazing to, to see the struggle. Now, my question is also that that has all everything that you've been through. It's amazing, but it has to, had to take a had to have taken a toll on your mental health. I mean, oh, what you've been observed. I'm guessing depression, PTSD, um, a whole lot of anxiety, at least, yeah. and yeah. not because you present as such, but who goes through that without coming out with something? How, how have you How have you handled your mental health? And yeah, and I mean, like, I think, and I would add survivor's guilt, because, you know, you enter these countries, and I have an American passport, so, you know, we're usually tied to the U.S. Embassy or the British Embassy. Something happens, I'm evacuated. Mm. Everyone I work with stays behind. Like, yeah. I don't think people realize what that does to the frontline civilians and the aid workers, including war correspondents and stuff. Like, it rips, like, you know, over and over. It's probably what military feels like when they get discharged or yeah. pulled out of their assignment. I mean... Yeah, actually, it's really funny that you say that because that was the most people who reached out to me for my book was, um, you know, families of military, which really surprised me because I, I don't know why I thought that like it would be more of the NGO world, but it was actually military families that really reached out for me for my book. So that's an interesting thought. But yeah, I think I think you're right. There's so much that we face. I would say creating across red lines, creating my company. Like I across like I red lines is your is your company and your website and everything. And I want to get yeah. through to that. It's time for our first break, but okay. let's get to across red lines as soon as we get back. And thank you so much. And we'll yeah. be back with moments of clarity in just a moment. Before we go on break, I want to welcome callers. You're welcome to call in. We're on YouTube, um, of course, radio one hundred six point one FM thirteen forty and Twitter and LinkedIn and also Facebook Live on several platforms. And um, we'll be back with Moments of Clarity. Please stay tuned. You're listening to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Werner. Tiffany will be right back after this. This is the Tantalk Radio Network. Have you struggled in finding the answers? Forever Forward Financial can help. We need to change our mindset about how we view money. From one of scarcity, there's just not enough, I'll never get my piece of the pie, to one of abundance, that if I learn how money works, if I learn how to make more, save more, grow more, protect it all, it's a pretty big piece of pie for all of us. That's what we're trying to help people do here at Forever Forward Financial, learn that our mindset about our money should be one of abundance, not scarcity, if we're willing to learn the rules and reap what we sow. Please give us a call today. The number, 727-422-7761. 727-422-7761. Hi, this is Tiffany Warner, your host of Moments of Clarity. Living with a mental health disorder is not easy. If you or someone you know are struggling with this, please know it's so important to seek treatment 
I'm here to help. Please visit the website at momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com to view blog posts and resources on this site to help educate and inspire you to take action because there's no shame in seeking help for mental health. While you're there, please take a few seconds to sign up for my email list. You'll get some extremely valuable educational and entertaining content that can be sent right to your inbox each week. Plus, you'll also get instant and free access to my guide on managing your anxiety. You can also follow me on Twitter at MOC with Tiffany and at Facebook at Tiffany Warner. And once again, the website is momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com. Thank you so much for your support and for listening to your show because change can only come when we stand together as one. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. We are back to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Warner. My name is Tiffany Warner. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I'm your host. And today I have a fantastic guest, wonderful, I'm very honored. Um, a published author, a peace builder, um, who worked with government agencies and under government platforms, served and worked with President Obama, Dalai Lama, and, and that rhymed and I didn't even, <laughs> where the list could go on and on. And, um, and also published a book, Barefoot in Baghdad, Put Herself into War Zones to Help Others, and um, and TED Talks, and so much more. And welcome back, Manal Amar. Thank you. Thank your you. Book. If I reset your whole entire bio, which is very fascinating, it would have taken up the whole show, and I wanted to hear from you. So <laughs> anyway, across red lines, we were going to get to that, and I also want to welcome callers to call in, 866-826-1340. You're welcome to join the live discussion, 866-826-1340. So across red lines, I know that's your organization. I looked a little bit at your webpage. It's really, it's um, amazing what you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, like this ties back to like the question of like, how did I, what did I do with all my trauma? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember reading like trauma that's not transformed is transferred. And that hit me so hard of like, I have a responsibility to really deal with my trauma. Otherwise I'm going to just be transferring it without thinking I'm helping. And it's what right. we call wounded healers. Yes. Um, and so, you know, two divorces, five back surgeries, like, you know, the personal price, like when I say women were taught sacrifice and suffer, like that was my mantra. Like I wore it like a badge of honor. Like I sacrifice, I suffer. I'm willing to give up my life for change. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I realized what it was doing for me and I realized that wasn't what life's about, like it isn't about the martyrdom. It isn't about the fight. It's actually about living. Like that's that's the point of this realm and this world. So I shifted and, you know, while I did it is when I created across that line. So like, you know, there's a blog that I wrote, which was like, I didn't realize it, but I literally created it to save my life. Like, I don't think I would have made it through the trauma if I didn't have a higher purpose. And so like, I joke, like something inside me tricked me into like, you know, you're not doing it for you. This isn't your healing. You're doing it for the world. The greater good. What I really was doing was healing myself and then sharing that process. I think that's how the radio show Moments of Clarity started as well. A bit yeah. where I felt like I was going to change the world, but in process, it helped me myself. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about helping and giving is that you, you do it with the intention of helping others, but the way the universe and the divine works is that that then feeds right back to yourself, not in the way that you think, but mm-hmm. in different forms you end up receiving while you're giving, which I didn't know. And I'm very grateful for that process because I didn't think I was worthy enough to receive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was one of the worst parts about dealing with my trauma is like, I wanted it to be exotic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I speak multiple languages. I am from, you know, I've been all over the world. My trauma is exotic, you know? And it was like, 
Yeah, it's self-love. It's self-worth. It's pretty basic. You know what I mean? And I think that's where the universality and oneness, and I would argue, especially with women, comes in. It's like our trauma really is shared. It's about Mm -hmm. belonging. It's about self-worth. And again, it just looks different in different forms, but that's the heart of what we want is we want to be accepted. We want to thrive. We want access and we want to belong. And I think that's beautiful. And that's what I hope across red lines provides tools for women to do. I think everyone feels like that, not even gender specific, but everyone wants to feel that they belong, that they've laid, left a legacy, that they have a sense of purpose. I mean, even Stephen Hawking claimed to be the most brilliant man in the world and rest his soul. But he said, every man, every person needs a purpose in life and, you know, to feel that they exist. Yeah, I agree. I just want to point one thing out. I definitely agree that everyone feels that, um, but not everyone has the threat that women have worldwide. And the statistic that I like to share, because it really blew my mind, was that more women have died in the 21st century from violence against women alone wow. than all wars combined. So that's more really? than World War One, more than World War Two, more than the Gulf War, more than the Rwandan genocide, more than the Holocaust. And wow. it's not women who died in these wars. It's women who died from violence against women, which means they died at the hands of loved ones. So when we think about that statistic, I like to point it out because it's like, yes, everyone wants this, but not everyone has a global war against them. Yes, there's ethnicity, there's all these issues, but like for women, you know, that statistic of violence against women is, is really staggering. And again, it means that they died at the hands of loved ones, their community or their family. So it's it's... Or neighbors. Remember to think, or neighbors, or, you know, Rape, assault. Yeah, starvation, female infanticide, unfortunately, is still a thing. Like, we're still doing Female circumcision babies. still exists. Yeah, in America. Like, that's one of the issues that I work on in America, not even overseas. Like, I feel like we, overseas, we've made more progress than we have here. So, like, you know, again, when we're looking at women, it's global. I will say, Cross Red Lines, again, does focus on sex positive, because for me, with women, if we forget the power of our joy, the power of pleasure and our life force energy, then those statistics and that fight will define us. And that's not who, like for me, it's like, that's not who I wanna be. Like, I don't wanna be the woman warrior constantly fighting. I spent mm-hmm. my entire four, first 40 years of my life doing that. Now I want ease, I wanna usher in the joy and pleasure to continue the struggle, but with a different energy, you know what I mean? And so what, what's the difference for how women are being treated um, on in, in overseas versus in America? Um, you see much of a difference. I mean, I know that there's a lot of places that have a lot of change to happen, a lot of growing to do, a lot of things that should yeah. be different or that we should reach out to help. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the biggest thing um, I always point out is just basics. You know, overseas, women are still struggling to fight for access to safety, access to education, access to health care. You know what I mean? Um, even so health care? Oh, even, oh, especially health care. I mean, you know, again, when you look at the rural areas, if you look at cities, it gives a different thing. But when you start to look at rural areas, health care, access to water is still an issue for a lot of women. Um, women still carry the brunt of agriculture work. You know, so when you, you look at that, you know, kind of, 
Um, when you see a woman with a basket on her head, that still exists, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, carrying the jugs of water. And this isn't just in Africa, South Asia, the Middle East. Like, you know, we tend to think of development in one particular continent, which is ironically the continent we neglect the most. Um, but wherever you go in the world, in these remote areas, you know, women are still having trouble with basic access. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, you know, when, especially when I was initially working with Women for Women, like you can't come in and start talking about rights. You know, like let's, you know, let's talk about raising the you know age of marriage or let's end FGM because the very basics aren't provided. Raising the so, age of marriage. Yeah, well, for some people, for some people you get married, some women get married as young as nine, six, seven, eight. So we try to change the law so that, you know, young girls aren't being forced into these marriages. That's very harmful for them. You think? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're still playing with Barbies. Oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you'd be surprised, you know, the, when you write your, um, your request for the wedding, you'd be surprised how many people put Barbies on that list. It's horrible. It's, you know, child marriage is one of the things that makes me so Like when you register for your wedding, you're putting down Barbies, toys. Yeah. Yeah. Training and bras. They think it's, yeah, they think it's, if, if they're lucky enough. Um, but fortunately, like we have been able, like, you know, women's movements have been able to change some of those laws. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big challenge. Um, if you're not, if the, so in the, in a lot of the countries, if the basics aren't there, it's hard to change the rights. Right. We're here. Hopefully the idea is we have basics, although America really does confuse me. So I, I feel like someone needs to like call me and help me understand women's rights in America because like, I, I don't think anyone understands any of their rights in America. It, it, not only does it change like what every four years um, and everybody's still fighting for rights and everything. Um, it's such a melting pot that. Yeah. I don't know. But compared to what you're saying, that's in other countries, I think that a lot of people are taking it for granted how much we do have, but at the same time, you know, how much change can happen. But um, that, 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 that's a really big, important point to say um, that I, you know, I know you just said it, but I want to like pause and emphasize it because it really is crucial. Like this is one of the big lessons I learned from war is like things change overnight. You know what I mean? Again, Iraq was not, Iraq was never considered a developing nation. It was right there with Spain, statistically, economically, like it was on par with Europe. And overnight, the entire country was brought to its knees through war and sanction. And I'm not just talking about like the Gulf War. You have to go all the way back to the Iran-Iraq War and then you go through sanction. Like, you know, there's like three decades of war. Um, And like for me, seeing that really, really like woke me up to um, the domestic work I do in the U.S. was like, you know, as a citizen, and I consider America to be my adopted country, like I need to be an active citizen and give where I can. And so that's what I'm always trying to do. As much as I do international work, like I'm very, and this is why I served eight years under the Obama administration. It's like, I feel really grateful for this country that's adopted me. Now, what can I do to give back? And I think I got that perspective from working internationally. So, you know, what you said is really crucial, like not to take anything for granted. Yeah. And, and all of this has gotten to take a toll on you to see the world through your eyes must be very difficult, sad, you know, there's gotta be some things to look forward to, but I mean, you see it, you see it for real, like what people yeah. really have to struggle with the, this, the seediest part of life yeah. and, and how, like when you take a hot shower, you're, you're grateful like, because 
That yeah. and it, it, we have running water. We have irrigation. We have plumbing. Electricity. You, you, know? you understand how much I appreciate. It. Every, like all my friends die of laughter because like I'm like the different version of Debbie Downer. I'm like, wait, turn off the lights. You know, let's turn on one lamp. And everyone just thinks I'm like this dramatic, like you know, Debbie Downer type of thing. But yeah, no, I think it's it's true. But you know, I'm recycle, recycle, <laughs> especially running water, like running water is huge. Electricity and running water is huge for me. Like yeah, but, I can um, relate on a shorter terms is I live in Florida. So we lose power and water after hurricanes or during the storms and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, I mean, and we complain and whine and, and how, if it's two to three weeks, it's horrible, but yeah, it but eventually but comes back on. Last a day, like this is yeah. this is the different degrees of resilience, right? But you know, yeah. one second, we have a caller. Okay. Wait, go ahead and make your point, though, and then we'll take the call. That I don't see the world through sad eyes. Like in war, you really get, you get you can choose what you see. But I've seen some of the most beautiful, joyful moments of laughter because people enjoy every second. They don't take it for granted. So, like, I actually have a very optimistic like view of humanity in the world, which I don't I can't explain, but I really do believe. There would be no compassion if there wasn't suffering. But at the same time, also, it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, we're all spoiled and we don't know it. And yeah. people are, you know, complaining about things lately, like not all things, but a lot of people complain about things that people would give anything to have our problems, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. But you know, it's also like what we choose to focus on. So like mm -hmm. if we go, and I, you know, my examples always tend to be extreme, but like if we go to like the suicide bombers, which unfortunately mm -hmm. I've lost friends in these bombs, I've lost like a lot of people and stuff like that. So we're always focused on that suicide bomber who runs into the market or who runs somewhere. I got to see the hundreds of people who responded and rushed into help. No matter, you know, there was something called twin bombings, right? So we knew if there was a suicide bombing, 10 minutes later, there would be another one. And people still rushed in to try and help, knowing that there might be a second bomb in 10 minutes. Wow. For me, you don't get to see humans throw every care in the world and sacrifice themselves to help, which I got to see daily over and over. So I think that's where I really have like faith in humanity is as bad as it is, there's still the 100 people responding to that one violent act. But we're so obsessed with the one violent act, we're forgetting all the beauty of humanity, which is why we're so resilient. And then what, how are people even brainwashed to be the suicide bomber? You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's hard. That's another, that's a whole nother show, but it's yeah, just, it's but yeah, there's a crisis. It really shows the kind of person we are when there's a crisis. Are we the one that would run into the building? to save and help people and try to get them out or we'd be the one filming it or the yeah. one going 911 or whatever they kind of do it over there but still you know what i mean like yeah. it kind of shows it identifies the character you know there's some people that respond right then they're an act yeah. active then there's some that are like oh no they shouldn't be doing that or like <laughs> or someone else help or you know what i mean like i don't know yeah. but it really it really shows that you know you got to be in a crisis to really know the kind of person you really are because a yeah. lot of people say they would be doing something but when it comes yeah. down to it i don't i don't know that they would or you know you got to really be in that in that yeah. place to know what you would do yeah, and it's really it's a fair point like i think um when i think about the various incidences i was in like if any because we get trained and they take us through scenarios 
Um, like I remember like there was a there was a bomb that was planted in one of my women's centers and like they, they came and like the guy just the security guard just came in and was like, What do I do? And it was like, ah and it, anyone had ever told me that I would be so like knew exactly what to do like very slowly it's like everything froze time froze and it just went very slow and I did every step that I was supposed to do and right now if you were to ask me what those steps is I couldn't tell you it's a blur because you just react you just and I just all I remember is like time went slow and I was like this is serious like it's not your life it's this whole center's life that's like and, and it's the reason why I say that isn't to say like, I'm amazing. It was like very clear no. to me that wasn't me. Like there was a divine intervention. There was something that happened and it just wasn't like Manal Omar wasn't present. Like instincts, intuition, ancestors. Like, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, you know, the, the fight or flight of the brain, something kicked in. Whether was it purposeful or not, it shows your inner character. It shows yeah. your integrity. It's just I'm not saying, oh, my gosh, I'm amazing. But you are. Like, that's yeah. the instinct that you – it's fight, flight, or freeze, you know? Yeah. It's just instinctual. Like, that's – that is yeah. amazing. Not everyone has it in them, you know? Yeah. Well, well, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to receive that. It's a compliment, but it's also fact. You know, and just because someone can't react to it doesn't make them unamazing, you know what I mean? But some people just, some people fight or freeze, but only, it's not their fault. It's not like they're intentionally doing it. The the brain, it's not their character, you know? That's, yeah. I mean, like, that's, I guess, a bit of what I'm saying is, like, character or whatever. Like, you know, again, like, it feels like divine intervention, like, you know, um, muscle memory from, like, ancestral collective DNA. Like, whenever I think about certain things I've been through, I'm like, there was something more at play that I can't explain. And and my whole thing is I don't need to know. I'm just grateful. (laughs) Well, you've been through so much that you've witnessed that, you know, like, for instance, I've worked in uh, correctional facilities and before that I think I was a different person than when I worked in maximum risk and people are taking inmates down or um, you know you can't be alone with them you have guards with you you're you're in jail I was I mean not many people attack their therapist though but at the same time there's a lot of danger going on around me rioting and things like that yeah I found myself to be more of a reactive person after that because I was conditioned to not fear other stuff. And maybe that's yeah. what's happening with you too. Like that. Yeah, definitely. We call it situational awareness. Definitely. Right. And I mean, again, thankfully I'm trained in it too. So right. that helps, you know, but sometimes the training is just BS though. Like, you know, they, they take, they kind of tell you what to do, but when it comes down to it, you're not going to sit there and be like, stop, get back. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so totally. And mm-hmm. I was more excited about like the variety of chips. Like that was the problem. It's like every time I'm like trying to remember the training, I'm like, why do I only remember the food? Like, 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 <laughs> right. <they're> right. <laughs> they have the great, the best tuna salad. <laughs> like, <laughs> why is this what I remember? <laughs> and it's so funny. Right. Because like instinctually, if somebody's pulling my hair, I'm not going to like do the right thing back i'm going to like kick and punch i don't know but yeah just say it. i'm gonna do whatever <laughs> i don't know but they do teach some good things and they usually serve a good spread so yeah let's get to our caller caller joe thank you for calling in welcome to moments of clarity hello tiffany hi how are you okay thank you ma'am for coming on the show today and i appreciate what you're doing for women's rights in different countries However, I just want to share with you what I discovered, if I could, about equal rights for women and, you know, whatever. So, some years ago, I read articles about how women in places like Pakistan actually had witnessed 
a woman being had to shoot her ankle off on, in the street in Pakistan, and the husband was never arrested. And essentially, there's no such thing as domestic violence. If a woman is beaten in Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, um, there's no, she has no one to fall back on. And I don't want to believe that for a long time. And then over the years, I worked with college students from those places, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and they confirmed to me that exact thing. And um, Tiffany knows domestic violence is, um, I'm totally, you know, I'm really uh, supercharged when it comes to anyone who hurts women and children. Mm-hmm. And you talked about a man, uh, the bomb and the collateral damage. As far as I'm concerned, when a man, in this case, a husband, but let's be honest, he's not a husband, he's not a man, he's a poor dog that needs to be put down. When he hurts a woman and the kids, he gets away with it. And there's no justice for the women. And what I want to know from you is, since you live in those communities and those countries, what is really... What's what's taking place to make a change mm-hmm. so that, you know, like the collateral damage of the bombs I talked about, because of this, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? No, I'm just saying, I um, completely understand what you're saying, but um, and I'll um, answer it. It's time for our second break, Joe. Um, do you want me to answer? Yeah, I mean, you know, so there are thankfully new domestic violence laws in a lot of the countries you mentioned, but those were like, you know, and, and again, unfortunately, I've been in the sector long enough to say like, these are laws that we fought for, you know, through different women's groups I've worked with and stuff. So like, you know, we, there has been some progress. Um, the challenge in the approach I take is that, you know, laws tend to be a, a top-down approach. That doesn't change behavior. It doesn't mm-hmm. change perspectives. So I try to do bottom-up. So what I do is I actually negotiate using tribal and religious laws and to change the main law. So I show to them that it's not in a conflict. So I'll give you an example. When I was in Yemen once, this old man got really angry at me and was like, you and your twisted tongue, because I speak Arabic with an English act with an American accent, it was you and your twisted tongue go back to America with your horrible ideas about women. This has no place here. And so I asked him, I said, well, where did the Queen of Sheba come from? And you know, many historians say the Queen of Sheba came from Yemen. So I said, you're so quick to give away this national historical treasure that's from your land to the West. And he jumped up and he said, Queen of Sheba's ours. She's the best woman, womenly, and just flipped the whole narrative. <laughs> when people own their own history and they don't see it as being imposed, that issue really shifts and changes. So I use tribal and I use Islamic law to make those changes. The other thing I would point is I, I don't just see men as perpetrators. I see it as a cycle of violence. When the state beats up on the masculine, especially when you're living in a patriarchy, patriarchy, the state will beat up on the masculine, the masculine will beat up on the feminine, the feminine will take it on the adolescents, and the adolescents either take it out on each other mm-hmm. or nature, which includes animals. Everyone knows so the, fight. you know what, rolls downhill. <laughs> it does. So that's for me, I, I treat men, I treat all perpetrators as people who have the ability to rise and change. So like for me, when well we're talking, talking about this, it's like, I don't villainize. Like, I don't believe in duality of good and bad. Like, we all possess light and dark in us. 
And I, this is why integration and balance is so important for the peace building work that I do. That leads me into something I want to bring up after our break. And thank you, Joe, for calling in. Um, have a good day. Thanks so much. It's time thank for you. our second break, and we'll be back with Moments of Clarity in just a moment. Please stay tuned. We will return to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Warner after these messages. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. Don't put yourself down. Time for a change. Believe in yourself. Time to rearrange. Be your best friend. Bring hope to your day. Lose your critic. Get out of your way. Are you looking for a great book? If you like to root for the underdog, Joe Potosi's book is a book for you. A real American odyssey that will grab your attention with its fast-moving narrative. You won't be able to put this masterpiece down. When the Dust Settled by Joe Potosi. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Zulin Press. Hi, this is Tiffany Warner, your host of Moments of Clarity. Living with a mental health disorder is not easy. If you or someone you know are struggling with this, please know it's so important to seek treatment and I'm here to help. Please visit the website at momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com to view blog posts and resources on this site to help educate and inspire you to take action because there's no shame in seeking help for mental health. I'd like to give a shout out to musician songwriter Don Lawson who both produced and performed all the vocals and instruments on my Moments of Clarity theme song. Don gained his inspiration as a mental health counselor himself. He's always looking for artists to record his songs and you can hear more of Don's music at reverbnation.com forward slash Don Lawson. You can also check him out on Twitter at Don on Lawson Music. Thank you so much, Don, for your contribution to Moments of Clarity and ending the stigma on mental health. It's awesome. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. Now back to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Werner, licensed mental health counselor. Hi, and welcome back. And if you're just tuning in, this is Moments of Clarity, and my name is Tiffany Warner. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and I'm your host. I have a phenomenal guest today, Manal Amar, who has been a peacemaker, women's rights, liberalist, and worked all over the world, including war zones, and made such an impact. And um, thank you so much, Manal, for being on Moments of Clarity. What an honor. Thank you. I have a question, and we have about 10 minutes. So um, out of everyone you've met, world leaders, presidents, all these amazing people, Dalai Lama, the Pope, um, um, who probably was your favorite and made the most impact on you and why? Ooh. It's hard to say because, I mean, like, obviously, like, meeting President Obama and, you know, Michelle Obama with so much charisma and the Dalai Lama, like, but I feel like it was a little bigger than life, um, that it would be hard, um, I would say like there are certain things I never thought, like I never thought I would have, like I have such a deep respect for someone like General Petraeus, which, you know, as a peace builder, as a humanitarian worker, I never imagined the day would come where, or General McChrystal or General Allen, like these are people that like, and I never thought I would talk about like war heroes or national heroes, but these are people I consider to be national heroes. So I wouldn't say they had the greatest influence, but it was the greatest shift in me where I went 180. And it was, again, going back to duality of like military bad, NGO workers without arms good. And it made me like really change my entire perspective towards the military. I mean, like these three generals wanted nothing more of it to send our boys home. They wanted right. nothing more, but like, you know, to find a way to stabilize. Like I really, like I'm sure they made thousands the of mistakes and stuff. 
But that was the biggest change in me where I was like, okay, like you talk about like no good and bad, but you don't apply that to the military. And that I, and so I really shifted a huge perspective in how I view the military. And some of the soldiers became like really dear lifelong friends. Like we're, we're still in touch today here. When I come to the U.S., they're the first people to reach out and to like welcome me and hold me. So like, it's a really, um, big, big shift that like, if I were to, again, I like to look like 10 years ago, what would shock me? And that was something that would shock me. If someone told me 10 years ago that I would be like on a radio show praising U.S. generals, I'd be like, hell no, no way. And like, here I am. I love that you said that. I have such a uh, respect for military. My father, my uncle all died um, serving our country. And so um, I am a big... But, but and I did not expect you to say that. I was thinking, oh, the Dalai Lama or whatever. Um, but yeah. I have another question a little bit, and maybe I shouldn't ask this. I don't know. Usually when I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But you, <laughs> you worked for the president and um, helped with peace building. Why don't you still do that? Um, well, so for me, honestly, I resigned before the current shifted administration. So a lot of people like to tell my story as if I resigned because of the change in administration, which isn't true. Um, after 25 years of doing the same thing and not showing the impact that I believe could happen, um, I, I, that's when I decided to, to resign from government. So I actually resigned bef- like before um, any... Before any- it went from Democratic to Republican? Um, it was before that... I had an issue with Congress. And so like there was a little bit of an issue on a congressional level about um, something. So like people assume I resigned because of that issue, which, which is not true. Um, right. and it does it's not just because of who the president is or anything yeah. like that. You, you, you had made out I had before. Made to change, change strategies. And like, it goes back to top down and bottom up. You know, I figured if I didn't believe that people at the top, you know, we had people pushing um, it was just that gap for women. And again, I know it sounds crazy, but that issue of embracing our life force and sexuality issue, it's as large as war to me. So for me, it's like, this is the gap that I know from a faith perspective, because I do this work from a faith perspective, nobody's going to step into this world of sexuality and pleasure for women's leadership. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to go into the empty space. I don't want to go into the space. And I don't want to say peace building is saturated. But when I started 30 years ago, you didn't hear the term peace builder. You didn't hear like those were new, those were terms. And so I feel confident that that space is, is filled and has great people. And I've worked with them and I admire them that I was able to leave it and try a different strategy that was important to me it's like i don't want to be doing the same thing for the next four without years. the result you were looking as for and as important as my work was yeah, yeah. i mean we want yeah. we want to see so, results and i love that shift i mean like I am glad I asked that now because a lot of people would probably be like, I worked for Obama and all this stuff. And so, I mean, we're definitely not religious or political on this show because mental health is global. But, you know, some of the listeners that might be Trump supporters might be like, well, why didn't she, you know, now that clears that up. No. Yeah. He wasn't seeing the result that she wanted, and so no political preference, even, even that. And we only have a four, a four minutes, three minutes, actually. So for all of you guys, and stay on, I don't want to get off too, but I think close up the radio show. For everyone listening, please find Manal Omar at acrossredlines.com. And um, that's her organization and her company and foundation. We can donate, we can help, and we can we can definitely find ways to to change the world and make it a better place. And um, 
And I want to thank the team, everybody. And thank you so much, Manal, for being with me today and on Young's Clarity. What an honor. Everything you're doing is so inspiring, and I want to help as much as I can as well. And let's talk a little bit after the show as well. But um, we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, the team. Thank everybody for helping with Young's Clarity, everyone supporting, and for the mental health and tomorrow we'll be on it's a different kind of show um with a beautiful singer that tours with josh groban across florida she writes her own music and she's also gone through trauma and music is therapy a beautiful voice and if you know who josh groban is she tours with him so you know she's got an amazing voice and hear a little bit about the touring and about what she's doing today too so tune in tomorrow 12 to 1 every thursday friday 12 to 1 live please be kind to yourself and to a stranger you never know what they're going through and take care that's beautiful now it clicks moments of clarity now i hear moments of clarity now i get it Moments of Clarity's mission is to educate and end the stigma on mental health through the inspirational stories of our exceptional guests on Facebook and Twitter at MOC with Tiffany. Please your mind